the um, great things about preaching from Romans 12 is that I'm pretty sure it applies to your life. Uh, we come to this verse, verse 11, that talks about being um, uh, really passionate for Christ, uh, not being lazy in our zeal, uh, but being fervent and boiling with our spiritual lives and serving Christ. Um, I'm pretty sure as I, as I look at that, it's not the case that this might apply to one or two people here. I'm real sure it applies to everybody in this room because it's just a matter of human experience that we come into things and we're all excited about them and then after a while we sort of lose that initial uh, excitement and we sort of hit a level playing field and sometimes it will get excited again but that'll retreat back into sort of well it's okay and sometimes it'll go down you notice the voice there it'll go down and then it, then it comes back up again and you know but you know largely life is lived on this sort of plane of, of inattention and occasionally exciting but not often and we chase that, uh, that initial excitement so often. It happens in our relationships and in our jobs and our careers. It happens in our lives. It happens in marriages, in the home. And so uh, I'm, I'm real sure this applies to us. We need to hear this word of admonition that we need to be fervent and, and active and not lazy but, but zealous in, in the way that uh, we live. Um, it, it's something that happens to believers in Jesus Christ. It's something that we need to uh, help our younger believers to, to go through. You know, so often uh, we, we come to Christ and we, we believe in Jesus and suddenly everything gets better and, and life is wonderful and we're so excited and then reality hits and then we run into problems and then we run into challenges and difficulties and we can't quite see our way through and after a couple of times somebody uh, insulted us, somebody said something wrong, somebody, you know, stabbed us in the back and we're starting to wonder what's this Jesus thing all about and we sort of retreat back into this, this sort of defensive posture and that initial glow and excitement fades away and it's almost inevitable that it will happen but it's not inevitable that we just live there and that we just stay there and so what we need to remind young believers is that that initial excitement and glow about Jesus Christ that's the real thing and that you really can live with that kind of excitement for Christ you know, there's a number of things that sort of back us off, that sort of make us lose our initial excitement about things in life, um, even our faith in Christ. That, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest things that causes it is gravity. Gravity. Uh, you, well, you know the phrase, falling in love? Somebody say yes, or else I'm going to be here all day, and you'll, you'll never get to lunch. But, okay, but it's, it, you know, the falling in love experience. In fact, I had a, um, a, a, a professor in college who he was kind of liberal, but uh, he, he said some good things. And one of the things he said was, um, you can think of a Christian as somebody who met Jesus Christ and fell head over heels in love with him. I think that's a pretty good definition sometimes. I know all the other theology, but, but that's, that's a pretty good definition. We just met Jesus and we fell head over heels in love with him. And, and that falling in love with ex experiences is, is, is really, it's a grand thing. I recommend it to a lot of people. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, but the falling in love experience, the people who study such things remind us that it's not the totality of what love needs to be. Because when you think about it, falling in love is a matter of gravity. Living in love is a matter of application. 
Falling in love is something that just happens to you. It just blindsides you, and you're glad it does. But working and living in love is something that requires effort and attention to it. And so while, you know, some of the experts will say, oh, that, that uh, falling in love experience is not a real experience, uh, it's a very real experience, and it teaches us something about what love needs to be. Uh, the falling in love experience, they, they tell us, will last about eight months, eight months to two years, somewhere in there. Uh, or it can last 44 years, depending on who you marry. Um, got out of that one, didn't I? <laughs> But the biochemistry of the brain changes and all that. But, but really, when you fall in love with somebody, you go bonkers. You, you start doing stuff you never did before. Uh, and, and Debbie and I, uh, when, when we met, we met in high school, and we shared a couple of classes together. One of the classes was a class in economics. And uh, uh, for whatever reason, I spent the first semester arguing with the teacher. Everything he said, I argued, and he didn't mind. He liked me to argue with him. And the reason for that was he didn't have a lesson plan and it killed time uh, in, in class, so that, that was a good thing. But uh, I would argue with him, just constantly arguing with him, and then after February 22, 1970, I stopped arguing with him. I just stopped arguing with him. And uh, it, it, it was so noticeable, he, he came up to me, he says, Wayne, why aren't you arguing with me anymore? I said, I couldn't be bothered. I'm thinking about other things. <laughs> you know, so the falling in love with experience, it's a, it's a marvelous thing, but it's a matter of gravity, and that's when gravity helps you. You're falling into love. But one day you understand that love is also an uphill journey. It is climbing the mountain. It is getting from the bottom to the top, and that way gravity is working against you. And when it starts to be hard, then you start to think, well, maybe there's nothing to that. Maybe that falling in love thing isn't, isn't real true, and, and, and maybe I need to bail out on that. And so when gravity starts working instead of for you, it starts working against you, you start to um, lose your attention, and you start to wander away, and you lose that excitement, and you lose that investment, and, and that, uh, that fervor for the, for, for the love experience. It happens to us as Christians. You know, when you come to Christ and you meet Jesus and your sins are forgiven and he, and he cleanses you, and you know that, that uh, you're not bound and shackled to the things that, that, have, that have been controlling your life, and, and whole new vistas open up, and, and you start to, st to do strange things. You don't argue with your professors anymore, and, and you're just thinking about him all the time, and life is great. No, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit, and the gravity is working for you. But then the real world comes along. And you start colliding with people who challenge you and who, who don't accept you and who, who speak ill of you and, and, and all those kinds of things. And then you start to understand that living in a world that crucified Jesus requires work and the gravity of the world is working against you. Then it becomes hard to do. And you, and you can get to the point where you start to lose that fervor and you just sit in the background and you don't, you don't engage so much anymore. See, so the gravity can get you started, but after a while, the gravity can work against you. The other thing that uh, will cause us to lose our excitement about our faith is uh, squirrels. <laughs> you see, I don't even need to preach this part of the sermon, do I? You, you already know where I'm going. We're there, uh, you know, but, it, but it's, you know, we're go what, what was that? Oh, oh, never mind. Uh, but, you know, things will, 
will, will just pop up and they're glittering and they're attractive and they're dazzling and we get excited about that and we think, oh, well, I can put Jesus off to one side. I can put church off to one side. Um, it, it'll be there when I get back from the road trip, from the program, from the, from the outing, from, you know, whatever it is. And after a while, you string enough of that together and you've chased enough squirrels that you don't know uh, what's going on in your spiritual life and you discover, well, I've lost that initial excitement about it because you've been chasing squirrels. So gravity can cause it. Squirrels can cause it. The other thing that, that can cause us to lose our, our, um, our fervor and excitement about, about Christ are lazy boy chairs. Now, understand, this is not a knock on Lazy Boy. They make fantastic furniture. I have it in my home. Although the best chair I ever sat in was at the big screen store. We had gone in there to, to research screens for, for, it was for the church, and to, to look at the uh, televisions, you know, like, like 10,000 square inch, uh, uh, whatever it was, uh, um, uh, television. Well, we decided not to buy the, the television, so the salesman says, hey, but would you like to sit in this chair? I was trying to be polite. I said, sure, I'll sit in the chair. Sat down in the chair. He says, push that button. I'm floating on air. He says, push this button. Up comes the glass holder and all that. I said, I could live here. I could live here. But you know, there's something about a nice recliner that you just sort of lean back and you don't have to worry about things and you just shift your brain into neutral and you just don't pay attention. And when we, come, we, we get real comfortable in our lives and, and we're just not paying attention and we're more concerned about, about just lazing around and we, and we just lose track of what really matters in life. And we wind up in a position where we have lost that excitement and that fervor for Christ. And so Paul writes to us um, in this, this section of Romans 12. I mean, we've already looked at, at I, I don't know how many uh, different commandments he's given, but he, he has this one where he says, and, and don't be lazy in zeal, but be burning with passion when it comes to matters of the Spirit and, and serve the Lord. Understand that you're serving the Master to whom you belong. And so often the problem we have is, yes, I would like for that. I would like to have that kind of fervor for Christ again because I remember how satisfying it was. I remember that life was going well when that happened. I would like to be in touch with Christ that way again. But just telling me, be on fire for Jesus doesn't help much. And that's why we spent all that time in Romans chapters 1 through 11 culminating in 12.1, where Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you, by the mercies of God, by the fact that God has done it all for us in Christ Jesus, that we rebelled against him, we violated his righteousness, we have lived lives that have fallen short of his glory, which is the purpose of creation. It's why we are here, for the glory of God. And so we, we fell short of all that. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Jesus came, he died for us, he gave up his life for our sins, our old sin nature, put to death on the cross, in Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead so that we now might be raised up with him and walk in a newness of life. In other words, God has done it all. And so when Paul says, I want you to be passionate on fire and zealous for Christ and serving Christ, he's not saying buckle down and try harder. He's saying get back in touch with the source of the power in the first place. 
Just behold the beauty of Jesus. Just take a moment and contemplate the wonder of who he is. Just spend time in the Word and learn once more the magnificence of his character and and the beauty of, of his nature. Just once more spend time thinking about who Christ is, that he might be first in your thoughts and in your mind. And as you are, you'll fall in love with Jesus all over again. And when you do, then the passion returns and the zeal returns and the desire to serve returns once again. You see, we're not challenged in Romans chapter 12. None of these injunctions are challenging us to try harder. They are challenging us to love Jesus more and to be more and more deeply in love with who Jesus Christ is. Now, that works out. Uh, let, let me give you a practical example. This is in another passage of Scripture. It's in the book of Revelation. Don't panic. Just because I said the book of Revelation doesn't mean we're going to pull out charts or scary movies. Revelation chapter 2. Uh, in this section of Revelation, uh, what we are reading is what Jesus thinks of the church. Uh, in chapter 1, uh, John has a vision of Jesus, and there's various imageries in there. We'll look at a couple of them in a moment. Um, but then Jesus dictates, if you will, he dictates a series of letters to seven different churches. And in each church he evaluates and says, here's what I like about you, here's what can be improved. And that's what we're looking at here in uh, chapter 2, the book of Revelation. Let's start at verse 1. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, by the way, uh, the angel of the church, wait for it, is probably the pastor. Thank you. <laughs> Well, yes, a little slow on the uptake there, but okay. No, but the, the word angel just means messenger. It's the one who speaks the Word of God, is, is, you know, is tasked with preaching uh, and teaching the Word of God. So that, that's the idea behind that. And so the angel of the church in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, write this. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and chapter 1 tells us that the seven stars are the seven angels who are the pastors. In other words, Jesus holds authority over the church. It is Jesus who has the authority of the church in his hand. We are here to serve him, not to serve an organization or an institution or anything. So Jesus holds the authority in his right hand. And then it says, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And chapter 1 tells us that the lampstands represent the churches themselves. And so Jesus is the one who is in our midst. He's not an absentee Lord. He is a present reality. He is here in our midst. And so Jesus, who holds the authority and who is present in our midst, this is what he says to this church at Ephesus. Here's how he evaluates the church. In verse 2, it says, I know your works, I know your toil, and I know your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Folks, this is one good church. This is one good church. They are theologically sound. They don't, they don't allow theological error to be propagated in their midst. This is a, a church that is ethically sound. They do not tolerate evil. You know, the way, the way we're tempted to sort of have this conspiracy of silence, you don't talk about my sin, I won't talk about your sin. No, they are pointing out the sin so that we might have victory over it. And so they are, they are theologically sound and ethically sound, and they are programmatically sound. They're a big church, and they're a prospering church, and everything is going well, and the people are working while they're even volunteering volunteering for vacation Bible school without having been asked. 
Hint, hint, hint. Okay, so having said that, so this, this is a great congregation. It's a wonderful church. It's a great church. And then he says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. This is the church you want to belong to. But Jesus says this, verse 4, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you, you had at first. You've lost your first love. You know, and, and this is more than just singing the song, the thrill is gone. You know, that. He's saying you've lost the first love. Yeah, there's a kind of devotion. There's a kind of dedication. There's a working and there's a busyness. But when, when it comes down to that initial first love, you've lost it. You see, it's possible to be zealous and busy for Christ without loving him as deeply as you should. Some of you remember Mickey Mantle. Uh, others of you have read about him. The, uh, the rest of you don't care. But uh, Mickey Mantle was a baseball player. Um, he played in the uh, 50s and 60s or so. And um, uh, was a very fine player, uh, very good, very talented, maybe one of the most, if not the most, one of the most talented men ever to play professional baseball. Um, Mickey Mantle had a, had a career, um, didn't quite attain to, to uh, all, his, uh, uh, all his potential, whatever that was, but he hit, you know, hundreds of home runs and, and World Series and all those kinds of things. But when he died in his early 60s, which seems very young to me now, but when he died, he died of three different kinds of liver cancer, all caused by his alcoholism. And here's what he said. He said, God gave me the ability to play baseball, and I wasted it. See, he was playing the game. He was playing the game at a high level, but his attention was distracted to something else. He had the ability given to him. He was employing the ability, but he did not have the passion for the game that would overcome his allegiance to alcohol. And so he was zealous, but he wasn't in love with the game. And Jesus said, I love the way you're zealous, and I love the way you're active, but I want you to be in love with me. I want you to come back and have that first love that you had at first with me. And he doesn't leave it there. He says, now, here's what I want you to do. And by the way, this, this, the, these next three points uh, are, um, are good, on, good advice on how to recapture the first love in a marriage, you know, in a project that you have, but, but especially in the body of Christ in your relationship with Jesus. But in verse 5, he says, Therefore, yet you've lost your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Go back and remember what it was that you had. Remember how you were attracted to Jesus in the first place. Remember what awakened within you that love and that desire for him when it all started. You know, that's one of the things that we do when we get together every week. We get together to remind each other how wonderful Jesus is. We get together to remind each other how beautiful Jesus is. 
We get together and as we sing together and as we worship together, it's so that once more we could fall in love with Jesus all over again. My prayer for you is at the end of this hour, hour and a half, whatever it is of worship, my prayer for you is that you will love Jesus just a little bit more because the more you love him, the more you'll be attracted to him. And the more you're attracted to him, the more you'll be like him. And the more you are like him, the more you will fulfill the reason God created you in the first place, to glorify the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just want you to love Jesus more. So the Bible says, remember what it was like. Remember from whence you have fallen. And then he says, and repent. Remember, repent. Understand there's something that needs changing. Confess that things have gone awry. You know, just agree with God that, that, that something needs to be altered in my life. Something has got to give here. And go before the Father and confess whatever needs confessing. Surrender whatever needs surrendering. Just give back to him whatever you've taken from him. Just in all things, repent and turn away from that self-centered, self-focused life and be back on a Christ-centered, Christ-focused life for the glory of the Father. So remember from whence you've fallen and then repent. And I love the next one. And do the things, do the works you did at first. Just do what you did at first. When you first fell in love with Jesus, you were bold about it. You weren't afraid of anybody laughing at you. You were bold about it. You weren't concerned that somebody might leave you out. You weren't worried that, that you might be the odd person in the, in the office or at school or wherever it was. You weren't worried about that. You were bold because you loved Jesus. Go back and do the things at first because in those opening moments when you first fell in love with Jesus, you had a consistency with him and, and you had a confidence in him. You just knew he could handle whatever came your way because he'd already cleansed your heart of sin. You just knew that he could take care of, of whatever challenges came your way because you knew that Jesus Christ who had walked among us and healed the sick and cleansed the leopard, you knew that he could heal you and cleanse you too. You had a, a great confidence in him. And you just had a deep longing to be with him. It was just thrilling to sit and think about Jesus, my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. That's the way it was when you started out. You know, I was reading a, a, a book by a marriage counselor, and uh, he was counseling people who were married, which is why he was called a marriage counselor. But um, uh, he, was, he, he was saying that when a couple would come to him and their complaint was, we just don't love each other anymore. Now, if there were other problems involved, he had other things to deal with, other, other issues, you know, of, of loyalty and fidelity, and, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, he, he, he worked with that in, in a different way. He said, but if their only complaint was, we just don't love each other anymore, he would say to them, okay, that's fine. I don't care if you love each other. For the next week, I want you to act like it, though. Just pretend. Just, you know, he'd say to the guy, he said, I want you to open the door for her, help, help her with her coat, carry packages for her. Look, I know it's chauvinistic, but ladies, it's okay, isn't it? Okay. Half of them said yes, guys. If you're married to that half, you're okay. He said, but just act like you love her. You don't have to love her. Just act like you love her. So he said, look, I'll give you a list of things to say so that, you know, when she talks to you, you can say, yes, dear, that sounds like fun. <laughs> You know, uh, says, That's all. And then he would say to the wife, he says, I just want you to act like you love him. You know, I just want you to, you, you don't have to be sincere. Just listen to his interminable stories anyway. You know, 
You don't have to be sincere. You know, just, just admire him anyway. Uh, you know, he says, I don't care if you love each other. Just act like it for a week. And he said, invariably, the couple would come back a week later, and they would say, I don't know what you did, but we love each other now. Because by doing the things they did at first, they eliminated all the trash that they had accumulated over the years and all the bad habits and all the bad actions, all the things that they had accumulated over the years, they put that to one side long enough to act like they love each other and they discovered they loved each other again. And so the Bible says, I have this against you. you you've lost your first love, but remember what it used to be like? Agree that it should be that way again and repent and do the things you did at first. Just fall in love with Jesus all over again. Now we go back to Romans chapter 12, and we'll keep working through that as, as the weeks go on. But, but for this morning, you know, Paul's uh, message to us is, is you know, don't, don't be lazy or cold, but be vibrant and, and fervent and, and on fire, passionate for Jesus, and serve him the way he deserves to be served. Fall in love with Jesus all over again. Now, here's where that comes home for me. I find I need to re-examine how I do things. I do a lot of religious stuff, you know, in my, in my job. It just happens that way. Um, but, you know, one of, the, one of the things that can happen is you just get in a routine and you just do these things because, well, it's expected and it's on the schedule and I'm sort of in a flow. I need to just stop and let Jesus be the beautiful Savior all over again. That's what I need in my life. I need to realize that the things I do, I'm not doing because they're expected, they're on the checklist, but I do them because I love him, and I love him desperately. And my prayer for you is that you also in your life, that you would love him more, that you would just look at the things in your life and see Jesus beside them. And if they're compatible with who he is, embrace it. If it's not, reject it, but just love Jesus more and more. Just think about him a little bit, you know. Just make it intentional that you want to be more like him as you love him more and more. Do that this week, okay? Let's bow for prayer as we close. And Father in heaven, thank you so much for loving us and showing us what true and abiding, genuine love is. Thank you, Father, for being patient with us that though we come and go with our allegiance and we wax hot and cold with our devotion, that yet your love for us never fails, never ends, never lessens. Father, thank you for showing us who we should be by sending us Jesus and then giving us the Holy Spirit that we might be drawn into him, our Lord, our Savior. Father, I pray for the folks in this room. I pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit that you would bring that conviction, that repentance, that, Father, that you would work the work in the heart that would enable us to live lives of devotion, love for Christ. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.